this is Jake Ferris. She's about to bet everything, and we mean everything, that she can turn the next guy she meets into a singing sensation. All right. The next normal person that comes by, I'll take him. The next person. Okay. I mean, the next guy that passes in front of my face. And it... Whoa! How you doing? Nice night. You look... Good luck, Jay. You can hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you yeah, now. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, it says we're recording, but I can't get a <clears throat> a thing on there. So, uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Pod Stallions. I am Brian, and with me, as always, is Jason, because if he wasn't here, the show would be Pod Stallion. That's so right. That, yeah, That's and I'd be talking to myself, and I don't, I do enough of that. So, it, it's good to hear your voice, sir. A solo spinoff. Thank you. A solo spinoff. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's nice to hear your voices and your voice, uh, Brian. This is uh, here we are again. It's uh, we made it past the hundred hundredth uh, episode mark, and uh, rather than just rest on our laurels and go into syndication, we thought, no, let's let's get. We got Fred Freiberger on his new showrunner. That's right, and he's got uh, exciting changes for us. Really interesting uh, new way to take the show, I think. Um, so Abe Mandel in New York has asked for more monsters. Yeah, and it was part of the letter writing campaign. You know, was to make some changes yeah. to keep the show on. So, so here we are. We're going to keep going with it. And uh, uh, so, yeah, we uh, we appreciate all the kind words about the last episode, the hundredth episode, and all the sentiments. And uh, it means a lot. Uh, mm. to, and to the gift baskets were just great. Oh, you got gift baskets? Oh, tons. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Oh, really? I got edible bouquets, flowers. Wonderful, wonderful. I got a certificate for a pedicure. Oh, well, that's a gift that... Uh, I think it was a mistake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll take it. All right. Well, that's all I got. I didn't get any, any three-dimensional things. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I got kudos. <laughs> and this is now the 16th anniversary of the site itself as well. So of the... Of the... Stallions. Is it the 16th anniversary of Plaid Stallions? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It It's weird. It, the only reason I know it is because I started a week or two before my daughter's first birthday. So as her birthday approaches, I go, oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like a year younger than my daughter. Ah. Yeah, who actually inspired me to create the site because I was home with her and she was just a baby, you know. And, you know, you could sit around and watch TV. And I thought, I'll make a blog. <laughs> that was the thing to do back then. You know, I wish I could. It's like this little piece of um, Clyde Stallion's, Pod Stallion's lore that's kind of missing. Is I wish I, I wish I could remember how I first came across the site. I remember when it was. I roughly recall the year, the first time I kind of reached out to you. Um. And I remember, I remember getting lost on the site, like just. You know, yeah, I seem to recall that you, um, you reached. I think I might know because you sent me images of yourself with some apes, and I thought that was fun. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on a second. I sent you images of me with apes. Yep. Yeah. Um. 
With apes? Yeah. Okay, this is not ringing. Really? I'm just no. going to try and find it. Um, was one of, I think I maybe sent, maybe there was one at Comic-Con with, with an ape? Yeah, yeah. And that was your first appearance on the site. And, um, oh. yeah, I'm just trying to think um, where and when that that was. Well, it's, um, it's got to be, because I, the first note I sent was, hey, I just found your site. What a what a treat. And then I kind of said who I was. And then you said, oh, my God, that's so weird. I just picked up the flash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my been, son was a little guy. Put, yeah, it would have put it at like 2000, 2007, I think, is when those hit the stores. Like in, Yeah, I think, and I think I found it actually. I didn't see it at stores. No, that's because, not right. That's not right. Um, maybe 2006, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I know it was a mall appearance photo, and uh, I posted just because I didn't have a lot of ape stuff, and I thought, that's kind of fun. But I can't remember how I first came across the website. That's oh, yeah, that I wouldn't know. That's what's always bugged me. Like, what what was I looking at or looking for that I – I must have searched for something and then come across Plaid Stallions and then just went, what the – because there was nothing – there was nothing like it. You know, that – yeah the depth of of catalog stuff that was up there um but yeah 16 years huh that's crazy wow it is and i just still want to do it so that's great and obviously it's expanded and and And, yeah leaps and bounds all the things making products and uh you know uh my laundry detergent is just something crazy yeah well that's that was really i know that's what you sort of were pushing for back that was always the goal yeah 16 years ago your your future in in the detergent business and you thought well if i can shoehorn that into this plaid stallions thing yeah yeah just build the blog make the detergent millionaire you know that was the plan it's uh i think you've really had this sort of renaissance or renaissance if you will last few years of just all of a sudden kicking it up into a a whole other stratosphere with the it's been fun the videos and all that stuff it it really has been the magazine the, the new book and you know the diet program (laughs) <laughs> my cult is opening up if you want to get, get, get in on the ground floor yeah, yeah. and, and um, it, wait, it's a cult let's be clear it's a cult it's not a pyramid scheme that's right well slow down um it's it's what we call a multi-level marketing right sorry yeah. sorry i'm sorry i i'm not finished with my training yet yeah, yeah that's right um but congratulations that's great yeah uh so um i've oh yeah i'm just trying to remember our topic uh we were going to talk about movies of the summer of 1984 yes i was 13 years old and a grade school graduate and Um, let uh let me be even more clear of how we got to this 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 subject yeah Not not to toot my own horn but i'm no i'm no dummy okay I know that we managed to get a Dune episode out of this this guy, Mr. Heiler, that I was able to finally get a 1984 version of Dune episode. I'm probably really pushing it, trying to get a Buckaroo Bonsai episode. Yeah. But I thought if there's a way to sh- to get Buckaroo Bonsai some some ads from uh, some oh, I, I got a lot to say about Buckaroo Bonsai, oh, but I'm like sure I said, you. yeah. But I figured we could do it in 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 the larger scope of 
before. And, you know, in a 90 minute episode, you know, talk about Buckaroo Banzai for like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to breeze over hard bodies. No, 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 no. That's that would be that would be shooting ourselves in the it's foot. Sacrilege. I would so yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming by our rules, we're going to say that um, May 2-4 weekend is the kickoff of summer movie season, correct? May, May, May. May of 84, you said? Yeah, like May 2-4 weekend, like the long weekend in May. I would say so. I don't know what you guys call that. We call it May 2-4. Uh, my wife uh, calls it May Run. Memorial Memorial Day weekend. Oh, okay. We don't have that. Yeah. Uh, we just we just get drunk. Right. Uh, okay, so that would bring us to our first film of the summer of 84, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes. Now, now let's let's um let's pause for a moment because we did this other episode for 1982, which I think really is maybe the greatest genre year ever uh, for the the stuff that that came out, the stuff that was groundbreaking, that had ripple effects, et cetera, et cetera. But 84, the year, the bulk of this stuff is summer stuff, but there was still stuff that might have come out in the fall but i mean most of these are summer probably right but like dune would have come out at at christmas but Dune I, was I, a christmas movie um yeah. you know th- there is some other stuff but i thought we would just talk about summer because that's yeah. basically yeah yeah, we gonna, but, yeah so, um temple of doom was for was that was the first 84 summer of 84 movie then huh yeah yeah it was a memorial day weekend film yeah yeah which was you know um i mean you know, we've talked about Indiana Jones several times on the show. We did the, the Raiders indie kind of anniversary episode with, with Ned. Mm-hmm. Temple of Doom is, uh, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, it, the, the, the hype and the expectation for this thing. I mean, the, I mean, Raiders was, was gigantic, huge, huge movie in a different way than the Star Wars films were. It just, it, it, it you know, ushered, like it, it bettered the Bond films in many ways. And it sort of ushered in a lot of, you know, ripoffs and things like that. And, you know, there, it was just a, I, I, t- I treat it as kind of a one-off, you know, I like the other stuff, but Raiders is perfection to me. So needless to say, there was a lot of expectation and energy and excitement for this, this new movie. And, um, boy, you'd be hard pressed to find a sequel to something so beloved that was so different than the first movie. I mean, even in a different way than like Empire to Star Wars. Empire is incredibly dark, but Temple of Doom is like a. Do you know I have absolutely no memory of this film? Um, I didn't see it in a theater. I don't remember seeing a commercial for it. Um, the only thing I remember at this time was a really negative review of it I read in the paper. I, I, there were there were a lot of negative reviews. Yeah. They kept using a term like headache inducing. Yeah, I've like my wife loves it, but again, she was um, oh uh, ten, eleven when she yeah. saw it, and you know I think it's um, I think that's a big factor. But I didn't see it then, and I had always been told to just like avoid it. Um, I just I, again, I just I cannot believe you wouldn't have seen that in the in the for the summer movies, or that it wouldn't have come on. You haven't seen it ever. You mean? Um, I've never finished it. Uh, I've tried to watch it and it annoys me. Um, I'm not a big, uh, Indiana Jones guy. You know what? Benjamin Button annoyed me, but I finished it. God damn it. You know, 
I, 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 I wish I had walked out of the Nutty Professor too, the clumps. I'm a finisher. But I don't know. It was raining outside. <laughs> if it kills me, I'm a finisher. Uh, um, Temple of Doom is is a, a really great blueprint of um, the the notion of you know let's top the first one you know like 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 the Bond films did it very well progressively in the mm-hmm. they just kind of kept pushing they need a bigger stunt they need a yeah whereas Temple of Doom was like um, the thing that was so wonderful about that's so wonderful about Raiders is for the most part, besides the, you know, melting faces and things like that, but for the most part, you believe that a guy could go through this stuff, because that's kind of what the essence of Bond was, that it wasn't, he's not a, he's not a superhero, you know, he's going to get beat up, and he's, you know, he, Indiana Jones would feel the hurt more than Bond ever did at that point, Um, but you kind of believed it, whereas Temple of Doom, you know, starts winking at the audience, and the original and sort of turning the volume all the way up to 11 so that everything is heightened, you know, from, mm. so there's good stuff in it. I don't, I don't hate it or anything. It's just, um, you know, saw it multiple times when it came out, there was little to no merchandise. Um, uh, I could never find the LJN figures. I knew they were coming out, but I could never find them. They only made three figures. Um, and it's something that, you know, was sort of a, begrudgingly kind of like, yeah, I enjoy it. As the years have gone on, I'm able to look at it and go, that opening sequence is great in the club. The um, the spike room, the spike chamber is fantastic. That whole, you know, the bugs outside and there and then the thing keeps turning and the spikes are coming down. It's just very old, you know, very much in the vein of Raiders. Um, Ford is terrific in it. Um, it's incredibly dark, incredibly dark. It's like, they were, you know, Lucas was going through the divorce and uh, he kept pushing it to get darker. And they were, you know, kind of giving a, a nod to, to Gunga Din with the thuggies and, you know, crazy stuff. But it's very graphic, very scary for little kids. Um, but I'll always I'll always, uh, you know, uh, love it for the, the bridge sequence. The fact that they the climax of the film is this actual rope bridge that they made between two you know cliff cliff sides um and got this thing with all these guys and harrison ford out there and, and stuff um and it looks fantastic it's still like a, an old-fashioned kind of adventure thing um but it was not the fun raiders type adventure i and a lot of people were hoping for when yeah it came. yeah um yeah. it it really none of my friends talked about it um it kind of just went away and um i find that really interesting to be honest with you um just always thought that that would have more of a um a cultural impact but it's it's like the middle child i think it actually did it got more notoriety through hbo and and video yeah absolutely it's 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 kind of it's it's that it's kind of relentless it's just it's not just the you know, the the pilot's going to jump out of the airplane. Now we've got no pilot. We're going to crash. We're going to jump out of the airplane with a, an inner tube, the era, sorry, uh, inflatable raft. Then we hit the water. But, oh, it's the rapids. Oh, there's more to do. Like every sequence just keeps building so you never get a break. And then even that, and then it's compounded with the, 
you know, the screeching, you know, from from Kate Capshaw's character and the the, yeah. the, the big needle with the, the gross, you know, baby eels that you're eating and the monkey brains and all, everything about it was just like turned up. Yeah. Really it's on 11. It. Yeah. 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 Really got got the got, you know, some relief. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of people felt felt that way about it. So that would have been. So would the was the next one Gremlins? Was it like a, no? The next one was Star Trek Three. Oh, I love Search for Spock, and that came out on June first. And I can remember um, that also that Memorial Day weekend. I think what happens? I went to camp for a week. It was our grade eight class trip mm. because I remember um, the three hour bus ride home. This teacher that I didn't enjoy was right next to me for the entire thing and he was going you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go see that search for spock tonight and i was like <laughs> shut up um i i don't i didn't see this one in the theater either what yeah um i don't know what was going on with me yeah, but uh, i did you? rent it with my friend like a year later and we watched it like four times it was i i really like the film even though it's sort of um it's sort of a weird film like uh like its plot is very simple and uh not a lot happens in the film except the enterprise blows up and they get spock back i mean it's it's that's all it, it, that's all it is it really yeah. really is what it says on the tin search for spock we're trying to get spock back it, i mean it's a good looking film it's funny it's got some great parts but i think uh, it's i think it's terrific like i think it's you know that hmm. that that myth that built up was, you know, the odd numbered ones are not good and the even number, whatever. Oh, it's not a, it's not. Yeah. It's a good, it, it's, it's kind it's, of is bullshit. Again, it, it's dark. I yeah. mean, it, it's really freaking dark. You yeah. know, Khan was dark. Uh, uh, you know, bad things happened in it, obviously. And that was heavy, but this one, um, and it, okay. So this, that's a great, this is a great segue of sort of, throwback callback to the temple of doom thing three doesn't try to up the ante the way temple of doom did you know from raiders to temple of doom but what it does is logically kind of go this is what this friendship was that that kirk's gonna lose everything everything yeah to get his friend back and he does he loses everything and the best line in the movie is that um when they're on vulcan and Kirk looks up at the Enterprise in flames, and I think he says to McCoy, my God, Bones, what have I done? Yeah. And McCoy says, what you always do, what you had to do, turn yeah. turn death into a fighting chance for life. And it's yeah. like, there you go. Life for the crew and life for his best friend. And it, but it's, it's you know, it's a great movie. It's oh, like. Oh, yeah. I have no, I, if it's on, I'll watch it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I can't say that with every Star Trek film, uh, but that and one got Christopher Lloyd and Klingon boobies in it. Oh, that's right. Forgot about her. Wait a minute. Wasn't that that wasn't that five? I think there's boobies in it because she fought, she's looked at the Genesis thing and Lloyd basically says, did you look at the thing? And she's like, yeah, I did. And he's like, well, then you know what you got to do. Oh, you gotta, yeah. You got to blow yourself up. But I think there's another one in five. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, but she's with the the lead singer of White Snake, playing whatever that guy is. <laughs> they, they look like they have a Firebird <laughs> in their driveway somewhere. Um, 
carried around a copy of Cream in their back pocket. And <laughs> planet Klingon. Kerrang. Um Yeah, so then after that, I don't know, that same weekend, uh, Streets of Fire opened. I've always kind of considered that kind of like fantasy, Streets of Fire, because it's kind yeah. of in this, you know, um, weird. weird world. But I don't know if I consider it like, you know, science fiction. Um, it's like pulp to me. It's like a pulp. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing I may, I mainly remember is the um, numerous music videos that came out about that. I was just going to say, I never yeah. saw theater, but by God, I knew I can dream about you. And um, the one, uh, what was the one coming? You, got, you and Guy are going nowhere, baby. Um, yeah. 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 It's some of the edge of the night or something. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see that in the theater. My sister did. Um, I remember that. I remember coming home and telling me about that. But the next weekend, I did go to the theaters. I was excited. I went opening day to see Ghostbusters. Okay. Now, but this is the one that you saw, but you liked it, but you didn't think it, you don't think it holds. I forget what we said last time we did the Bill Murray. Um, no, I, I went to go see it because of SCTV. It had uh, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray in it. And I was, you know, a big fan of both those guys and I, and Rick Moranis and um, who was also in Streets of Fire. That's weird. He was it was, yeah, he had, he had two, two movies out that summer. Like, when did yeah. that and um so I, I was you know i was into that film mainly because of of those guys i loved ghostbusters when it came out i was a huge fan of it but um i don't i i, I don't fully understand the fandom that has gone so huge for it that's all like i just i guess you had to be a kid and see that cartoon show and it, it's still ghostbusters is still good a good movie but um I, I think I just like peaked, you know, like I don't understand why they keep trying to reboot it. it. It's it's to me, it was lightning in a bottle, you know, that cast, that writing, See, uh, that, that direction. That's what's interesting about I think how you, you, your your sort of take on things or perception about things, that, you know, versus mine kind of. It's like I I can separate the. I know nothing about the cartoon. I mean, I'd seen the cartoon a few times. I mean, hey, it's a pretty good cartoon show. Yeah, I'm not, I have no connection to it whatsoever. I like most of the second one just to see those guys on camera again. But again, Ghostbusters to me is just a point, a fixed point in time. Yeah. That is, you know, that the 1984 equivalent of Raiders to me, where it's just this, this thing that they were going to make more regardless, and I'm not going to fight it. But nothing will you cannot get lightning in a bottle again the way I think what I'm, I guess I think that most of the affection you're talking about is like is really about that first film. It's yeah. about everything connected to that movie and everything else is just sort of it's it's in the the realm. It's in the universe, but it's a very distant second. To yeah, that. It, to me, it's it's the exact same way I feel. And this is a controversial, like I've had people like want to unfriend me for this. But Back to the Future is one very good movie to me. I, and, I, yeah. totally, I yeah. totally, nothing against, nothing against the other two films, if you like them. God, you know, nothing against the two leads. Absolutely. But that first movie is, I think is just kind of a perfect movie. And, you know, they were going to do more regardless. It's just 
you know, ha- if they'd worked for me, they would have worked for me. But nothing's going to take away from that mm-hmm. that first movie. But Ghostbusters was, you know, a lot of these movies too are like like the '82 things. It's funny how many of them you can look at and go, you know, most of these didn't do well at the box office. Like, yeah, they, they gained popularity as the year went on, and people really recognized the worth. Whereas '84, that was a huge freaking summer. Ghostbusters was ginormous well like, if you look at that weekend it all gremlins also opened that weekend and gremlins both both too. those films went on to make um combined i'm looking at a, a chart here they would have made 450 million dollars back then that's mind-blowing like that's combined that's you know um ghostbusters made 300 and gremlins made 150 and that's a lot of dough um that's and huge. yeah <laughs> and and, uh, and you know compare it to the uh Streets of Fire only made five million bucks. Um, and the other thing about both of those, I would argue, um, the thing that's interesting about Ghostbusters, there's a lot of interesting things. There's a lot of those sort of, I love the parallel universe of what Jaws might have been or how the Godfather might have gone or these things that, these almost happened kind of moments. And you think about all the things that might have happened, you know, with Ghostbusters and, you know, Ackroyd's script needed a ton of work and, uh, so on and so forth, but um, it's a dark movie too. Like it's it like it's 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 that summer of like most of these are. I don't know how can I put this. Like like I don't think the studios are thinking we need stuff for kids for the summer uh, in the way they might have with something like you know the couple of summers following you know Star Wars. Like by the time you get to eighty four, it's like these are all pretty dark films. Like Ghostbusters is genuinely would be genuinely too scary for little kids there's scary stuff in it um i think initially people thought they were getting another et kind of thing like it was spielberg it was they were this thing was cuddly it was going to be you know a fun little romp about some little monsters there's toys yeah (laughs) there's toys and holy shit is it not that it's a dark Uh, film yeah i've never seen all of it but um, it's very dark yeah Uh, Search for Spock, you know, those Ertl toys, those Ertl figures weren't flying off the shelves. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> who did buy a set. <laughs> um, those ta- but, but they could not keep the Taco Bell glasses in stock. That, that, that much I know. No, I, think, but- I think I know why uh, I didn't see a lot of these films. This was the summer my dad bought a speedboat. Uh, old my dad bought a speedboat that yeah time. so this is like every saturday it'd be like ah, we're going up to the lake and and um i read a lot of Starlog. <laughs> i remember that <laughs> that's that's and that when i think about these times in both those both those years the only way i would have known things were coming out would have been to be in a theater at a certain point either seeing a trailer or coming yeah. a poster that you suddenly went, oh, they're doing another one. Like that's yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you saw or you the, saw a commercial, you know, or you, or you saw a commercial which would be like, oh my god, it's coming out in a couple of weeks. But and you we, could read about stuff in Starlog, and it could never the, get to your town. We had the jump on all those those regular folks because we were reading Starlog, and right. Starlog told us when these things were coming out, and then and, when they didn't, you know, like I remember reading about this movie called Cherry Two Thousand. Uh, oh, yeah. That never. There was all kinds of. I could. I could probably, if I thought about it, cite a lot of movies that Starlog reported on that ended up just on video. Uh, was, you know, a couple years later. 
an issue I had with Ming on the cover, the Flash Gordon issue. I had that issue too. I think it had the flexi disc in it. Is that the one with the flexi yep, disc? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And they had a big article about um, uh, what's the oh my god, what's the name of the classic science fiction uh, book that they eventually made into a miniseries? Um, not Rendezvous with Rama, because that's being done by Denny uh, Cha Cha. Oh, like like it's it's um you know the 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 alien comes down and ends up looking kind of like a devil, and so everyone's kind of afraid. Mm. But it but it ends. I can't up, think of the name, but like, I can actually cover. Help us, and it's something children or something children. Yeah. But they had a bunch of um they had a bunch of storyboards that were done by Neil Adams. Like this thing was almost finance was going to happen. And I would read about it. And then it's like, then it just kind of went away. And you're like, whatever happened to that thing I read about last year that yeah, back of the magazine or something or didn't, didn't come out. Cinefantastique would, would do that too. Toward the back, they would always kind of list the, the ones, you know, that, that probably were going to hit two theaters when they came out, sort of. <laughs> yeah. That you'd read about and go, this looks really cool. I can't wait to see this thing. But um, you know, so far you've got you've got some stuff coming out in the summer that's like, I mean, but then you know, I'm looking at, at this. You got Ghostbusters and Gremlins, and then I don't remember any of the films for the next three weeks. Really? Uh, what, what, of like, what, you got movies like The Naked Face, Under the Volcano, Careful He Might Hear You. That sounds sort of familiar. And Grand Canyon, The Hidden Secrets, those are the, the, according to this list, those came out in between June 13th and June 15th. And then the 22nd, you've got more movies. So it's actually like a full two weeks. Maybe Ghostbusters and Gremlins just were dynamos. Well, they would, they would you know. up. It, the, the Naked Face was a Roger Moore film. Roger oh, Moore. Yeah. Roger Moore was the lead, so that was he would do he would try to do one movie in the off year between each bond. Oh, so, I see. So that was his off year, and he did a movie called The Naked Face, which I never saw until video. I don't even remember what it, what it's about. Um, Under the Volcano was was Albert Finney was in that. That's a good, mm. but it's not a. It, but it's a. These are the movies that like, you know, if you were a kid that your one of your parents might go what's with the what's the albert finney one what is this one about yeah 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 yeah. what, what is what, this what is this uh what about the great santini the great Santini. Yeah. it doesn't have monsters in it what do you what are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> i want monsters and or spaceships please or That's both right. yeah so they had to still make that shit that yeah we wouldn't that we wouldn't have wanted we would have been dragged to like oh, okay i'll fine i'll i'll go see you know uh what was the one there was one I, what was the one with jack lemon's a priest and oh god yeah i know that one i got uh, dragged to that like fuck he's like, got the young priest right yeah, like yeah uh, you come mass, in here with your blue hair mass, oh, mass, appeal. mass appeal mass appeal that would have been one where i'm just more like, like ass appeal am i right <laughs> that was one where i'd be like looking at my watch going all right if they don't if i don't get to go to gremlins next weekend i'm gonna you know whatever it was like like okay i'll go with to this thing you can have your little grown-up bullshit mm. but i'm i'm seeing metal storm next week if it kills me or whatever yeah well i had that problem too i remember yeah so sitting those, in the car watching <laughs> hanky panky with my parents at a, <laughs> at a drive-in so those movies you listed are like those are the ones that fell through the cracks of all the giant stuff yeah. that came out so well, June twenty second had a really big weekend. You had the Karate Kid, um, a film that had inspired no sequels. <laughs> oh, 
The Pope of Greenwich Village, which was not a big hit, but it definitely is an influential film. Oh, hell yeah. The greatest film of the summer of 1984, Rhinestone. And and, uh, one of my personal favorites, um, definitely top five, is Top Secret. Oh, Top Secret was 84. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was dying to see it, and it did not. I don't think it played in my my area. I had to wait till video. So, so rewind a sec. What was the one you said before uh, Greenwich Village? Well, Rhinestone and the Karate Kid. Oh, oh Karate Kid. So yeah. Karate Kid. Karate Kid. I saw in the theater, and here's my two word review: Elizabeth Shue. That's all I cared about. Oh. But I, I only saw it once. And I might have seen the second one, like on HBO or something. I had nothing against the Karate Kid. I still have nothing against the Karate Kid. It does nothing for me. I watched the first season of Cobra Kai. It was all right. And some of the second season, and it was good. It was absolutely good. Yeah. But my biggest complaint was, I only care about those two guys. I don't care about the kids. I don't want to know about the families. Yeah. When those two guys are on screen... And especially when they're on screen together, I just got to a point where I went, there's too much stuff to watch and I'm not getting enough of them. And then I just kind of, I stopped watching it. I'm sure maybe they've been together more. And I don't, but I don't my know. family stopped watching it too. They were into it and then they just stopped. So I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I saw the first movie. I thought it was good. You know, it's a bit of a Rocky story, but it's okay. I saw the second one, thought it was a little silly passed on the third and fourth and fifth and whatever of the i've never seen the remakes or any of that stuff but you could have uh, you could have if i can't if you'd asked me when i came out of that like is this thing going to be a cultural thing that's going to keep going i would have said no it's a it's a one-off it's just hmm. a, just a kid doing karate and the the you know it's a well-done movie i, I have you know yeah, but yeah it I has know. it has longer legs than i would have thought too yeah um <clears throat> and um, I think it might have—I think it might have had to do with the era too, right? Like, again, that thing would have been a, a big renter and a big, you know, Showtime HBO type movie. So it—it it had, you know, the, the longer legs. Like Top Secret was the same way. Top Secret didn't do all that well at the box office, but, um, but it Karate is so popular now. I think Karate Kid did well though, didn't it? Do well. Karate Kid was a hit, yeah, a yeah. big hit. Um, I think that appealed to a lot of. Like, you know, junior high type yeah. summer was there. Like that was a that was maybe a date movie, you know, junior mm-hmm. high something or whatever. Your parents drop you off. This, is, this whole list is starting to feel like my local video store. I kind of love it. Um, Village. You know, I was thinking about Mickey Rourke the other day because who doesn't No, Listen, Mickey Rourke. I'm going to say this till I die. And I got I met him once at a bar in and I was speechless. This was this was years ago, years before Iron Man. When he couldn't, he couldn't get hired, and he just was there. And I just all of a sudden sat down, and there he was. And I was like, "Hey, man, you know." And he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know. And I just, I was because Mickey Rourke was the heir apparent to De Niro. To, to me, I mean, and everybody kind of thought so. If you look at him in um, uh, Body Heat, when he shows up in Body Heat, he's only in a couple of scenes, and you're just like can't take your eyes off the guy. You're like, who is this guy? What's he doing? He had body heat. He had diner and then Pope of Greenwich village and a very kind of quick succession there. And he was, he was doing something different. And, um, you know, I read the other day, he got offered 
De Palma offered him the lead in The Untouchables. Wow. In 86, and he turned it down. Yeah. And if he had taken that part, I think his future would have been very different because he just, he became his own worst enemy. Um, but his body of work up to that point, you know, there are some great performances right up to, uh, to Angel Heart and actually Barfly as well. But Angel Heart is a fantastic movie. It's a very scary film. And he is. I thought De Niro gained all that weight. Uh, De Niro gained a bunch of weight for Untouchable. He, he gained like 30 pounds for the Untouchable. He gained a ton of weight for Raging Bull. Lost but wasn't all- he also heavy in Angel Heart? He, the, he, um, he, I think at that point it was, that might've been right before Untouchables and he was oh. starting. No, but he, the thing is when he, when he met with De Palma and one of the producers for Untouchables, this is how the story goes. He was very thin and very quiet. And De Palma had known him since the late sixties, you know? Yeah. 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 From a high mom days. Yes, exactly. From greetings and hi mom. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and when the meeting was done, the producer kind of turned to, to Palma and he's like, are you kidding me? This isn't that he's going to be Capone. This isn't going to work. And De Palma said, trust me, just trust me, you know, because De Niro was like, I need like three months to put on some weight. Now, you know, he beat his body up with Raging Bull and it took him a long time to lose that weight. But he did it again for the untouchables. He never quite put on the weight bodily. So they gave him some padding. But you can see it in his face because, you know, because then you couldn't do the prosthetics or like the digital thing to put on weight in the face. It would have looked ridiculous. Yeah. So I think I the, would love to see it, though. <laughs> I think the, the 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 puffiness you see in the face in Angel Heart is him putting on the weight just before the untouchable. Ah, yeah. OK, so that's that's kind of that would have been the next thing I think that, that he did. Um, but but Angel Heart is uh, is, is, you know, scary and filthy and just. Just a just a grind. Well, that was a thing that there was a controversy because Lisa Bonet was in it and yes, um, and the, you know she's a Cosby kid and that's a squeaky clean image. And I'll never oh forget, what we know now. Oh boy, but I'll I'll never forget seeing that for the first time on video, um, you know, late at night just watching it. Alone. My sister rented it. That's how I saw it. When it gets to the turn at the end and the penny drops and you go, oh my god, like it scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, but, but and then, and, you know, I think nine and a half weeks might have been right before Angel Heart. And that was a big movie. Um, but, you know, he was something. So Pope of Greenwich Village is a great and yeah. he's terrific in it. But it wouldn't have been something I would have seen um, in the theater. And I, it did bombed. You know, you know he, he wasn't making stuff that made money, but he was getting a lot of great. A lot of great. Reviews. Yeah, my sister rented Barfly, too. I remember watching Barfly when I was like 16 and uh, he was really good in that. He is. He again. He he he. Um, there's a there's a theory about him. It's very sad when you think about. It. Like he was a good looking guy. Like he was yeah. he was not traditionally handsome. He's also in. Um, he's also kind of an asshole in um, Fade to Black. Did you ever see Fade to Black? I have seen Fade to Black, and uh, you know that was so, one of those movies that was like in Famous Monsters, and I really wanted to see it, and I finally put it on. And yeah, he's he's the bad guy. But the thing the thing about that movie. You don't like the protagonist. Yeah. Oh no. He's also an asshole. So it's sort of like, oh, I'm watching a jerk get revenge on other jerks. It's a, you know, yeah. Yeah. The thing with the mother and it's just, it's a, it's a, it's very campy. It's very well. Yeah. It it couldn't not be campy, but the thing I, I just had with fade to black, and this is really veering 
was that 1980 is um, on topic, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking about movies. Um, <clears throat> the thing I had about fade to black is I just didn't know why I was watching it. You know, um, it's yeah. not a guy's descent into madness. He's already there. Yeah. He's already. And, yeah. And it's sort of like, eh, I don't get this. Um, I don't speaking think of descents the, into madness. Sorry. You were going to say, I'll say the, the woman in it, the lead woman. Now that I think of it, I don't think, we ever saw her again. <laughs> no, I think I think that might have been the only thing she ever did was that. Oh, movie. Wow. I don't yeah, know. I was, you ever wrong. do that? You like you're watching a show and then you're like, oh, I wonder what else this person did this. Yeah, that is it. And you're just like, why? You know, um, you know, yeah. even people that are good or they're very memorable or you you swear you've seen them before. And yeah, you I never think- see them again. So Rourke was like this kind of not pretty boy. He wasn't a pretty boy, but he was a good looking guy. But, you know, he was in 1941, you know, fade to black, body heat, etc. Um, you know, diner. He's the you know, he's a good looking guy, whatever. But I think as the years went on, there's a theory about him that he started to got he got so disillusioned by the Hollywood people and stuff. And like, you know, he, he was you know, I'm a rebel and this and that. But that he never felt the profession was like manly enough. I think there was some abuse in his past as well, like from his father. Yeah, then he became a boxer. And then he became a boxer. And people's theory is that he he did it to mess up his face because he thought he was too good looking or something. Like because yeah. he he was he was he wasn't you know tough enough or hard hard enough looking or something. And then of course the, you know the plastic surgery got out of control and you know all that stuff. But it's a very Dude. sad. Yeah, you know, I've always I'll always have a soft spot for him and that that collection of films in the eighties there where he was pretty extraordinary. Um, and you know, signs of it, <clears throat> you see signs of it in like, uh, what's the one, the crossing guard, or is it the crossing guard, maybe the crossing guard and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the wrestling one, even sin city, he's terrific in sin city. I can't bear that film, but I, yeah. I can either, but he's, he is perfect in that. that is, yeah. He's, he's good casting. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, that's the thing that nobody would, none of us would have seen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I, right. The next, actually, I saw the Pope of Greenwich Village, Greenwich Village on City TV. That was a City TV regular. Um, the next weekend was one of my favorite renters of the 1980s, a movie that hasn't aged that well. Um, I haven't watched it since college, which is Bachelor Party. Um, <clears throat> my friend Paul. Yeah. He thinks Bachelor Party is one of the best. Con- he thinks Bachelor Party, Revenge of the Nerds. And yeah. just for the guys are three of the best movies of the eighties. My my uh my college roommate loved Bachelor Party, and so did I. So we got on. Um and it still has some moments I think about all the time. But I, I think if I showed that to my son or daughter, they <laughs> would think I was an alien. You know, like what is this? Um <laughs> well, just it's- because it, it it's so over the top and crazy, but it you know, at the same time a lot of that stuff hasn't aged well it did introduce me to monique gabrielle which i'm eternally grateful for and uh you know it's it's tom hanks's best performance it well and also it was it was uh you know he had splash which was big i mean splash <laughs> splash was a big movie like, and he is, makes this boob comedy <laughs> and he many turns around so you got well do- it's probably the same situation as back to the future and teen wolf the bachelor yes, party I, was probably already in the can. Yep, I think so too. Or yeah. like he already he already sort of had it lined up, and then maybe 
maybe Splash Howard was like, look, can we do this one first instead? And they moved it around, whatever. But it was a weird kind of next one to do. Um, it'd be like it'd be like you do you do Sophie's Choice. And you know you're 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 everyone's praising your performance. Your next movie is called Fart Academy. You know, just <laughs> kinda. Yeah. Like, like you're like you're, you're. Who is it? Kevin Klein was in Sophie's Choice, right? Wasn't Klein in Sophie's Choice? I, I maybe I've never. It would seen be like it. if Peter Kevin, McNichol was in it. If Kevin Klein did Sophie's Choice, and the next one he did was Wild Wild West, right yeah. after. Oh yeah. Well, wait. Something like that. Yeah, that's that's except uh, except Wild Wild West was would have to be popular because Bachelor Party made a lot of money. Did uh, Bachelor Party make a lot of money? Almost forty million dollars. Holy cats! Because that uh, that must have been a three million dollar budget or something. Right? Oh sure, yeah. And then you've got uh, Cannonball Run two opening okay. that weekend, which I've never seen. I love Cannonball Run one, although that has not also aged well. Um, and then Conan the Destroyer opened this weekend and. Did not do well. Um, no. no. It, it's, uh, I'm not a big Conan guy, uh, but that one's not very good. No, I <laughs> watched, um, I hadn't seen the original in a long time. It's fun. And I watched it a few months ago, and um, I just kind of enjoyed it for the scope of it, for that that sort of, you know, I listened to an interview the other day with uh, Tim Robbins. It was, I think it was a, it was a repeat of the Gilbert uh, Gottfried uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. And they were talking Rest about power. They were talking about Howard the Duck, and and you know it was bound to come up on this podcast. And and then Tim Robbins just very kind of under his breath just said, "Yeah, I know." He's like, "You know, it was the first Marvel movie." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, just kind of like a little. But you know, it was the first Marvel movie. So you look at Conan and the you know, the an R-rated sword and sorcery kind of thing. Uh, and for what it was, and that it, it did usher in a lot of <laughs> a lot of um, wannabes. Yeah, was, which I like better for some reason. Well, uh, I did. It was like it, it's it, you know, it, it tries to be kind of more epic. It doesn't know if it's going to be epic or if it's going to be pulpy or or what. But I tried to just watch it for him and just go look at look at that specimen on screen, you know. And it's, but he, he is. He's like he's like superhuman in this thing. He's just so ridiculously big in this movie. Um, but it's it's uh, it's just it reminds me of like knowing as a little kid, knowing who Schwarzenegger was. Pumping Iron was on like PBS. And then knowing when this movie came out, who he was. And um, I couldn't see it when it came out because it was it was rated R and everything. But, yeah. Yeah. But I think wasn't that the thing with this other one that it was trying to be more PG and more goofy. I think I, I've only seen Destroyer once. Yeah. Um, it always gets me because it has a great opening. You know, like if it was on TV, it's got Mako, I think, narrating it at the start, and that's yeah. always a good sign. And then, he, Doesn't he narrate the... He could narrate the first one, too, but he narrates the, the second one for sure. Okay. And, uh, you know, you're, you're into it and then you, until you're not, and there's just something wrong with it, and I, I can't tell you what it is. Uh, is I know it? that the monster at the end is really ridiculous. Is um, it, who's the other guy that's... It's, so it's Mako... And it's Schwarzenegger. What's his name? Um, you know, uh, Mr. I had Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain. Well, there's another. He took, he took some time off of his schedule of having sex to make a film. Right. And when he wasn't shooting, he was having sex. In his there place. was a mattress in the back for him. Yeah. Right. 
But wasn't there another kind of comic relief in? Oh, oh, what's his name? You know the guy, Tracy. Um, Tracy Walter was he in Tracy, that? Isn't he in that? I don't know. I can't remember. I thought he might have been in that. He's one of Nicholson's best friends. Tracy. Yeah, Walter. that's why he's Bob the Goon, right? Yeah, and he shows up in in uh, the Two Jakes as well. Is he really? Why, why would I? Why would I know that? Like, why? Why? What? What possible reason would there be for me to know? his name or that he was in the two jakes whatever um yeah, yeah tracy walter walter is in that um okay so he's the comic kind of the was, com- was tracy walter was he on best of the west was he frog i think he was i think you might be right can you imagine you know how like you're supposed to when you're in acting class uh find out what your essence is so you ask strangers uh-huh. what you think you are you know yeah. and that's who you should play. You know, you should play your type. Can you imagine, like, you know, Tracy Walters or uh, William Sanderson? <laughs> what people would say? Oh yeah, you're that dirty guy who works in the town, you know, the old west town. <laughs> That's your type. Crazy I, prospector, you know. Who was the best of the west? Because there was that other guy that was kind of the villain. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember. But he's one of those guys. It's just sort of from the from like the early and mid '80s that kind of always we could go there, we could go here. Like he was that like sort of next version of Paul Lind, kind of kind of heightened, kind of like a dandy sort of. Yeah, the mustache guy. Yeah, Um, they were kind of implying things, but they weren't really saying it. Yeah, yeah. He was he was uh, he was great though. Everything he was in, he was great. Everything he turned up in. Yeah, I cannot remember his name. Uh, I can see him, uh, but I can't. Is it Leonard Fry? It kind of rings a bell. Yeah, I think it's Leonard Fry. He's oh my god, he's dead. Um, yeah, but he yeah he's he's in a a, a whole bunch of TV credits and movie credits before yeah. he passed away. He oh yeah, of course he was. <laughs> you remember Mr. Smith? He was the foil. To the talking orangutan yes, in that show. Yeah. Yes, yeah. in 83, yes. right? 83 or 82? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course he was. Yes. Mr. Smith. Just 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 shy of campy. Just shy of campy. Yeah, unfortunately that guy passed at 88 or in 88 at 49. I'm not gonna look up why. Um well, okay, so what happens uh, after um destroyer? Well, we've got, uh, you know, only one movie opened in July 9th of 1984, and that was The Gods Must Be Crazy, um, something I think I rented. But that was one of those things that was in the paper forever, like certain art house theaters in Toronto played it forever. <clears throat> and and me, uh, I knew what it was, certainly before I saw it. I think I eventually rented it. So it must have been 85 or 86 when I finally mm-hmm. rented it. Yeah. After all that time. And all the, you know, it's a one of the greatest comedies ever made, and like the the international sensation. Like when I finally saw it, I just went, really? Yeah. This I thing? had the same thing. It was overhyped. Is um, this thing everybody just, you know, keeping the the art houses open for? It's a people pleaser for sure, and it's a good film, but it's a little goofy. You know, I remember watching it and. The guy's getting his truck stuck in the mud, that sort of thing, and you're like, eh, you know, wasn't like, something like it? Somebody throws a coke bottle out of a, yeah, a plane, and there's there's ripoffs of it too. I remember that too. I wish I could remember, but I'm positive 
that there was another movie where a caveman finds, you know, uh, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was definitely uh, a, a something to confuse people, like a mockbuster almost. <laughs> uh, and there was a Gods Must Be Crazy too. I've never seen it. There I was. That's right. Yeah. But I. But the next I, weekend, a, a better film opened up. At least what, I think so. What was that? And that would be uh, Nick Castle's The Last Starfighter. Okay, now that's another one that I don't think I saw in the theater, and I would I did, and I would have see now that's this is where we are this mismatched couple because <laughs> it's shocking to me that you never saw Indiana Jones and the friggin' Temple of Doom in the theater, which was out for like nine months. Yep. But you managed to go see the last Star. Well, Fox. here's how it worked. Well, a, a, I, let me just preface it by saying I know. What a Robert Preston fan you were as a child. Oh my God, the music man was my life. So, uh, not going to take that away from you. And Dan O'Harely, you know, I am, yeah, right. uh, I am right. uh, the and 20% 50. Irish. Um, no, what it was was uh, my grandparents would take me out every summer for like a two, I think it was a two or three week boating thing. They had a little cabin cruiser, and that was their, you know, that was their life. And they would go, up and around all the lakes and we'd go to Northern Ontario and that sort of thing, you know, Georgian Bay. I know these are meaningless to you, but it's, it's, it's a two or three week period. And, um, you know, you would park in towns along the way. And I just remember, you know, I mean, like it was, it was easy going and it was kind of fun and it was an interesting summer. And I remember we parked in a city called Aurelia, uh, a town called Aurelia. It's still there. I don't, um, and they had a movie theater downtown and they had a comic store. And I kept asking, this is this is really going to date the time, but I kept bugging the lady in the comic store. Did that Marvel Doctor Who comic come out? Because that was when that, you know, that color Tom Baker, that was just reprints. That's right. The, uh, the showcase, the, right? No, not the showcase. This was the monthly series. The show. Oh, has, with the yeah. Gibbons did the new covers for and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I really wanted issue one. And I, I, I think I drove that lady crazy. I got all She's of like, those. Comics don't come in every day. I, I didn't actually like that series very much, but um, I just was buying whatever, whatever. Yeah, I know. I, I was the same way. I just bought everything. But I, they had a theater downtown, and there was a bunch of movies playing, and the Last Starfighter was playing, and I, I just went to the movies. Like you know, I, I it was like literally. Um, you sh- you showed distance. You showed distance from the boat. You showed the lady at the comic shop. You said, you know what? I'm going to take my money elsewhere. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to the movies. Three dollars and see the last Starfighter, and I'll never forget it because um, there was a preview for Dune before it. Oh yeah. And I remember, for a brief second, I think they showed all the Sarduka warriors. Daughter car. So whatever. And I swore, I'm like, oh my god, is this a new Planet of the Apes? And I got excited. And then I, you know, as it went on, I was like, oh no, I don't know what this is. And I was like, oh, it's Dan. <laughs> it's scaring me. Yeah. Well, I just, I, for like a inkling of a second, I remember thinking they're making a new Planet Apes movie. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I guess I thought the Sardukers looked like guerrilla soldiers for the outfits. Yeah, I could. Yeah. 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 Could, because they have the like the head thing, the sort of longer. Yeah, it, it just it it just for that instant, and I'm a kid, right? 
Sure. But um, yeah, I, I really liked the film. I, I remember when my son became a certain age, I got a copy of it and he liked it too because you know, he's starting to get into Star Wars. I'm like, you know what? I got a good film. Who did the? I, uh, who did all the makeup? Some, somebody did all they, the makeup. It looks like I don't know off the top of my head, but I'll bet you it was um, somebody prolific like uh, Rob Boutin or um, I don't know. Let's find out. Because um, yeah, um, I just got done with those. Um, I think I, I think I might have told you or maybe posted a picture that three DVD set that I got um, the Phil Tippett documentary, this one called the Frankenstein complex, and then an additional DVD. That's just a bunch of extras, but the, the Phil Tippett and especially the, the Frankenstein complex where they talk to everybody from, you know, you know, Rick Baker and uh, Tippett and, um, you know, Winston, Sam Winston's kid who like runs Winston thing now and the Kyoto brothers and everybody, um, you know, they talk about everybody from Jack Pierce to Dick Smith to you name it. And I kind of thought they'd, they'd hit, um, something like last starfighter, which was a lot of masks there were a lot of creatures made for that. And nobody kind of mentioned it because it goes right, right through the history. And I'm like, so who the hell did, all those designs yeah it's um it's not jumping out at me any famous names all right i gotta look that up uh, yeah uh because it was mostly i think a lot of it had to do with the fact that this was the first and last movie to use computer generated special effects that's right yeah that's um right. but you know i think the thing that really is good about the last starfighter is the characters like it's a well acted well fleshed out movie uh, yeah, it, the, the the villain's a little hollow, but otherwise, um, I, have, I have no affection for it. But it's a fine, it's a fine oh, movie. I, I guess because I was, you know, I 13. totally get, I totally yeah. get why it's got a following. Like I yeah. get why it would. The designs are great. The ship designs are great. Uh, I think great, it deserved a better a better shake. I thought it was a solid. Yeah. I thought it was a solid film. Um, I never <laughs> um before people kind of you know. It took. It seemed to take a long time for that to sort of get an appreciation. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, Marvel did an adaptation of that, and I bought that. And uh, I, that's another thing I want to get into is I, I bought a lot of the Marvel movie adaptations because it was cheaper than going to the movies. And um, <laughs> I remember buying the Last Starfighter one and really liking it. Um, and uh, Galoob was going to do action figures, right? Yes, yes. And famously, somebody sent them pictures of the Applied Stallions, and uh, eventually they sold, and I think they're in a comic store somewhere now. Oh, the and, actual? Yeah, the actual. They're not prototypes. They're more kit-bashed proof of concept. They're mainly made from Star Wars characters and um, um, Remco Sergeant Rock figures. You can see it. Um, oh, interesting. And they were yeah. going to two packs right they were gonna they're gonna be on two packs i loved the idea i loved the concept but yeah the film just didn't take off and i don't think the toys would have sold uh even if the film did take off because like i've said on my channel a lot star wars was the exception not the rule like movies came and went and movie merchandise didn't always move you know that's why like even indiana jones had a tough time telling so selling toys and that was a hit well the so, interesting that I always thought was weird about Last Starfighter, Starfighter was two years earlier, you had this big, expensive gamble that Disney did, which is now heralded as a classic, but at the time did okay. It was not the blockbuster that people were hoping. Tron, yeah. Tron, which was completely, you know, revolved around the, the world of video games. Like it hit, 
like, you know, the Tron video game came out before the film, and I think it made more money. It helped, it helped like, finance the damn mo- movie, basically. Yeah. Um, but but it, it really hit that wave of video games. So this thing, and the fact that someone was willing to take another gamble on something that revolving around, you know, an arcade or video games or, you know, whatever. I never thought of that. Yeah, that oh, does seem... Yeah. Like, oh, here we go again because it didn't really work the first time. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's. A, I think I've only seen it once. Oh um, really? Yeah, I've watched yeah. it a couple times. I mean, like, I don't want to say it's like my favorite movie of all time, but I I you know I think it's a fun a fun romp, and I've watched yeah. it a bunch of times. Uh, and I showed it to my kids, and that was more fun than anything is showing it to my son, and you know, he's probably seven at the time, and he said, you know, that's a really good movie. And he still remembers it. And he still likes it. So it's a time capsule. That's what I think is fun about it too. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's oh. very nineteen, early nineteen eighties, and yeah. uh, I enjoy it. Um, but then that same weekend we had uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, which was also not a really big hit. I've never seen that one because I just felt too old for Muppets. I did not see that in the theater. I saw um, I saw Great Muppet Caper. Oh, uh, I remember that. I didn't even see that one in the theater. I saw yeah. that in the theater, but I did not see Takes Manhattan in the theater. And then uh, the next weekend, we had uh, the Dudley Moore, um, Daryl Hannah, Eddie Murphy film, Best Defense. Oh! Which man. everyone's forgotten. Um, man, Eddie Murphy, even, even... He's, like, tacked on to that film, isn't he? he there's, a, there's, a, there's a magazine interview I remember reading before Beverly Hills Cop came out. And there's a Letterman episode. In both of them, he just absolutely trashes Best Defense. Yeah. And he basically said, look, it was going to be, you know, can you come do, you know, a couple of days on this thing? And then they kept expanding it. They kept kind of, you know, as he yeah. got, you You're know. the only thing good in this. <laughs> and, and, and kept him a, a few days longer than they probably should have. And he shot more stuff. But it was like, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. And they just kind of cut together between. It's like a cameo sort of. But they tried getting more out of Murphy. And he's never on screen with. with it him. isn't actually Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah and Dudley Moore are nope, in. Uh, uh, it, is it Kate Capshaw, right? Kate, I think so. Yeah. Daryl Hannah and Dudley Moore are in another film. Crazy people. crazy people yeah Dudley Moore's career just he you know he did 10 in Arthur and then it just kind of didn't nothing he seemed everything touched to turn to zinc you know it was very sad because uh, yeah he was incredibly talented oh, look, came, my favorite comedy of all time is bedazzled he, I mean the, the to come out of beyond the fringe but his 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 musicianship his yeah. musicianship and it always was kind of heartbreaking that it was great that he had the success that he did. I mean, you know what? Foul play. Foul play. Mm. Then, and then uh, Arthur, everybody knew who he was by then. Yeah. Like he yeah, did. yeah, yeah. He was he was a household name. My parents loved Arthur. They took me to Arthur. Arthur was huge. Yeah, like they wanted to see it again. Yeah. Um, so they took me to it. I remember that really well. Um, you know, the Dreams- other film opened that weekend was Electric Dreams. And somebody was just talking about this in the Pod Stallions group, how it's just like disappeared. It's uh, hard mo- to get copies remember, of it. You know, I remember it from the commercials and I remember and video Jeff Lynn doing a song. Yeah. Electric Dreams. Yeah. The title song. Yeah. That, that yeah. I'm not sure I've ever seen the whole film. 
It's apparently um, well regarded. I remember watching a review of it. I think on probably at the movies, which I watched every week. Uh, but yeah, it it um, is it the guy's like in love with his computer or something. His computer's in love with a girl downstairs. His computer's in love with the girl downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. And he, you know, he also starts a romance, and it's this weird love triangle. Huh. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen it, but I know exactly what it is. And then, of course, that same weekend was Revenge of the Nerds, uh, a film I did not see in the theater. I did not um, see it in the theater. I was aware of it, but I did not see it. Um, and for a long time, it was a very well-regarded 80s comedy because it had likable leads. Uh, now it's got a few, you know, <laughs> it hasn't aged well. Um, Which part? Uh, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. You, don't, you don't have to explain. You don't actually yeah. have to yeah, uh, but, I, no, I wasn't going to. It's of its time. It's yeah, it's of its time, and it does have some, you know, some good performances. I, I honestly remember going to see Nerds in Paradise, Nerds 2, um, in the theater, and it was, was just you, packed. What's that? Was was the second one Nerds in Paradise? I think so, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was rough. I didn't like it at all. It was, again, like, you know, when you sequel a comedy and you just try to beat for beat do the same movie like right. like Anchorman 2 or any of those I, I can't handle that um, and I didn't really enjoy that film I don't think I've ever rewatched it I've never seen any of like there's been more nerd sequels and, you know Anthony Edwards was very very smart to you know kind of remove himself from that franchise Did it get a TV show too or just movies I think it got uh, TV movies TV movies yeah yeah so, um, but yeah, uh, that Revenge of the Nerds. And then, uh, yeah, the, the July was like, you look at this now and you look at our movie schedules and you go, my God, like this is the next weekend uh, was July 27th. And you had uh, Cheech and Chong's The Corsican Brothers, which I but, think I've seen. I think that was like their non-drug movie, you know, because of like Nancy Reagan and it went nowhere. And you had Meatballs 2, which... Boy, I've seen. Um, who was the um, who was the who was the lead in Meatballs Two? Paul Rubens is in. I know Richard Mulligan's in it. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, you know the original Meatballs. Uh, it's not. I don't even think it's filmed in Canada. Isn't there someone that's kind of taking the place of of the of the Murray type character? That's in? I'm sure there is. Um, like Richard Mulligan. Hamilton Camp, Archie Hahn. Oh dear God. Um, Paul Rubens is in it. John Larroquette's in it. Oh my God. Oh wow. And, uh, yeah, it's got it's got a you know a familiar '80s cast. I just remember there was like, I think there was an E.T. alien in it. And remember Meatballs? Like you'd be like at the video store and it'd be like Meatballs eight. Like you know whoever <laughs> was making these things had just. <laughs> taking the name and slapping it on to anything that had, you know, nudity and uh, the woods. <laughs> which is which is weird because when you look back at Meatballs, it's not it's not a raunchy movie. No, the original Meatballs isn't a raunchy movie. It's, it's, it's actually a pretty honest film. Yeah, it's not it's not, um, you know, the, the it's not Animal House. You no. Know, which kind of ushered in. But all the 80s ones, I think. I think Meatballs 3, the entire thing is about a guy just trying to get laid. 
Uh, I remember they showed a commercial for it, and I was like, oh, that looks real interesting. And I was a kid who liked movies about people getting laid, you know, but, uh, oh, God, Meatballs 4 has Corey Feldman in it. Oh, my. <laughs> that might be when it peaked. Yeah, I think I'm 100% sure that didn't see a theater. Um, four, four, they, four was a sequel too far for Meatballs. <laughs> three was fine. Wait a minute. So, but here's here's what's interesting about all these titles you're throwing out. It's like, you know, I think there I think there be it became a thing where like you people would look at the paper and go, let's see, can I drink it? Meatballs too. What's brand new? Yeah, I know. We already saw Ghostbusters. Yeah, I know. But look yeah. at this. Like, let's just go see Ghostbusters again. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you were seeing movies over and over again throughout the summer. It usually wasn't till you know, for, you know, four, six months before they went to dollar theaters kind of thing. You know, I mean, I don't know if you have, I'm, I'm assuming you had discount theaters there, dollar theaters. Uh, bigger city. Well, yeah, like uh, downtown what, when I was a kid, but I think summer of 84 is when it actually closed. We had a theater downtown that was like a second run theater. I mean, we had. But I think 84, they uh, shut down and became like a, uh, a kid's dance hall that lasted like a week. <laughs> <laughs> Because the kids were like slam dancing in there and stuff. We had second run in the Twin Cities through the early '90s, at least. And I, I remember a, a yeah. second. I remember seeing um, the Saint <laughs> at a second run theater in LA in you know '96 or whatever it was or something. But like they eventually, you know, they, they all went away, and you know that that whole thing was taken away from theaters, and so it became you know. VHS, you know, VHS got tighter and then DVD and so on and so forth. But um, so you, so you'd go like, well, why, why am I going to take a chance on Conan the Destroyer? Um, it's not getting good review. I'll just go see Ghostbusters again or I'll just go see whatever. And so you'd see the same movies throughout the summer because, you know, you knew you weren't going to see them for years. So, you know, that that July seems pretty thin. Yeah, it, it does. Um, now, the big. Out- the big one would be uh, after me, you know, in that three pack of movies on July 27th, Purple Rain opened. Oh, and that that was a big thing. And that's a big uh, hometown thing for you, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, that yeah. I, that I went to that I got into. <laughs> I, 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 I'd never seen it. And I put it on with my daughter going, let's watch Purple Rain. Like I'd seen bits of it. Yeah. And this is probably like five years ago. So she was like 11. And oh, my God. I didn't know there's so much nudity in it. And like I my wife I turned it off and you know because yeah. I was like this is awkward for us. Yes. And um it, it helps the story. I'm sure it does, but I had a laugh cuz I came I, I, my wife came home later on and I said um oh my god, I was, you know, I put on purple rain and like there's a ton of nudity. She's like, "Yeah, it's it's purple rain." <laughs> you know, like saying it like I'm just you're an idiot. <laughs> you know and um it's prince it's r and it's purple rain yeah there's new yeah 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 that was like that was like this weird this weird you know through the looking glass moment of like he's making a movie is that gonna be in a movie now like this really because you know when doves cry was on you know unbelievable rotation for however huge hit yeah before the, I think it was, I think it was months before the movie hit. And I, like, I still use that. Oh. Uh, you know, like, I, I make a lot of references to that song. Oh, it's yep. so, that, 
that song, Let's Go Crazy, like most of that album, but I mean, those two big singles are just like, they have not aged a day. They're just. And you know, it has killed me not to do like a toy video where I open it in the bathtub, you know? <laughs> Spoilers. You got to do that. <laughs> I think you just like proofs of purchase around you instead of like flower petals, just proof of purchase seals. Just, just action figures, but you know, yeah. it has that. <laughs> Um, that was a big, that, and that movie made a lot of money too, I think. I think that was a big It hit. was a big hit. It was, you know, like, it, it looks like a modest number now, but $68 is nothing to... Well, uh, but it cost them nothing. That budget oh, yeah. was nothing. And they didn't know what they had on their hands. Like, that thing hit at the perfect time. Because two years later, he made Under the Cherry Moon, which, to be yeah. fair, wrote and directed and starred in, etc., great music parade is a is a great record but um but that just bombed like a mofo it just just disappeared um so purple rain was like the perfect i forgot i always forget that's a summer movie that was a summer movie that was yeah i i was surprised that gremlins was a summer movie you know because um i didn't see it in the theater and but it's got a christmas theme so you just assume that it came out at christmas time you know what i mean yeah yeah. yeah. Before we jump into a buddy of mine and I bunked off of school, we skipped. We went to school that morning, but we snuck out to go see Under the Cherry Moon. In no kidding. Yeah. When it when it came out. Um, it was terrible. <laughs> I've never seen it. Um, yeah, it was terrible. I just I remember seeing the poster for it. Um, Good poster. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think what I was going to see, but I think it was probably, um, what was that, 86? 86, because it had, the big single prior was Kiss. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it what it was I saw. And then there's but... a great tune in the end credits called uh, 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 Mountain, which is like an under you know underrated uh, Prince tune. But, yeah, but the, the thing that, that struck me about seeing nope. that poster, oh, you know what, I just saw it coming off the subway was that I didn't know there was another Prince film out. And I watched, you know, like, much music all the time, and I was kind of like, Prince did another movie? Why didn't I hear about that, you know? So. See, I always get it mixed up because I tend to associate Around the World in a Day with 86, but I believe that was 85, mm. with, you know, Raspberry Beret and... Uh, uh, yeah. You know, so I think that was 85 and then 86 was Parade. So he had that streak going. And then even the stuff off of Parade was great. But the movie was perhaps <clears throat> ill, ill-timed, ill-judged. Yeah. Uh, so that was big. So what, what happens in August? That was the first one in August? No, that was the last really, like, big movie of July. Um, the opening weekend in August, which I think it's a long weekend here, it, we had movies like... Grandview, USA, uh, Joy of Sex, and the Philadelphia Experiment, which I believe is a time travel movie. Um, I saw that. The, um, I saw that in the theater. Did you? I did because it seemed like it had some time travel weird stuff in it, and um, you know we saw everything. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, you had you had access to a theater. Yeah. Yeah. Remotely interesting. Like, okay, you know, you know go see that. Um, what about, when did Chud come out? Where's the Chud? Mm. Is that a summer movie? 
we'll get to Chud. Oh, we'll get to Chud. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, where we're going to be very excited about is the weekend of August 10th, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, uh, Cloak and Dagger, and Red Dawn. Okay, let's let's get it out of the way right away. <clears throat> Second best film of the summer of 84 after Ghostbusters would be The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. This is a movie that when I first started Biff Bang Pow, I had a short list of licenses I wanted to get to make action figures, which included Flash Gordon, The Big Lebowski, With Nil and I, David Bowie, and Buckaroo Banzai. And I even explored the rights at the time in the like mid 2000s, trying to find the rights. And it was it was screwed up even back then. But Buckaroo Banzai is the perfect example of something that I never would have known about if not for Starlock. It was a I don't think it was a cover, but it was an article or I think it was maybe toward the back. And um, I didn't know who Peter Weller was. I'd never seen him in anything else. I might have known who Lithgow was, uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd, of course, we would have known who he was from Taxi. Yeah, he was like the big name in it. But it was just one of those things that I went to see and it just it tickled me from from the moment it started. I was there was no, you know, sometimes movies sort of they have to grow on you or like you see it and you go, yeah, I didn't really get it at first. And then I saw it a year later and I thought it was great. I just loved it from the get go because it was. It was sort of camp and it was it was sincere in its lunacy and it and it still is. It's never going to even have the sort of cult recognition that Flash Gordon does. Like, I don't think Buckaroo like, you know, I always say that like Flash Gordon's a secret handshake. But Buckaroo Banzai is like, you know, a super secret handshake, like a tiny little fan club that that of people that love that thing. But it's it's also one of those things that. um Kind of like kind of like Dune in a way that someone just just today, a friend of mine said, look, I've got this friend. He's an editor friend of mine. He loves David Lynch. You know, you guys would get along so well. He's never really given Dune enough of a chance. To give me in a nutshell why he should give it another try or watch it. <clears throat> and I gave a couple of reasons, but I said also because of just that it exists. It's so insane that this thing happened and we have it and it exists. And it's a, a big budget David Lynch film. Well, Buckman's Banzai is one of those things that's just... When you read about when, you know, the more I know about the process, you know, where it was going, the marketing of it, the the materials that the studio sent out that were on pay on, you know, paper from, you know, from like the Bonsai Institute letterhead. They treated it, you know, all the promotional stuff was treated as if this was a real character like this was, you know. The, the the new we have we got information is coming in about the new motion picture and the thing, the story of everybody. But he's currently on you know, location doing something, you know, with this other, you know, spy smashing thing or something. They just, and you look at it all and you just go, I don't know how anybody could have thought this was going to be a hit or that this was going to work. And yet when you, throughout the years, all the people that were, have ever been involved with it from, from Goldblum to Weller to Clancy Brown to uh, uh, Pepe uh, Cerna to everybody at Lithgow. And when I met Lithgow, at Comic-Con for Dexter, I, you know, we just chatted for 30 seconds, but I, I said something like, well, I'm never going to, I won't rest until I get an action figure of Dr. Emilio Lizardo. And he just lit up. He just lit up. He's like, he's like, he, 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 
he he started he did like a line from from Bonsai. Bonsai, you you know you I forget what it was, but he, I've got a picture of him doing the line standing next to me. There's something about this movie that connected with all these people that they still talk about that it was this bizarre thing that they were all a part of, and it just threw everything in but the kitchen sink. And it's uh, I, I love it I love it more each time I see it. I sometimes get distance from it, so I can try to go to it again with some fresh eyes. Um, and it's just it's freaking bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers, and I I love it. I love it. And I know you like it. You have, you have a soft spot for it. You're not like a huge fan, but you you like it enough. Um, I don't get it. You don't get it. Okay. I, I've um, and let me just give you my backstory. I read about it in Starlog. It seemed like the coolest movie ever. Um, I was in. I bought the Marvel comic. It looked really cool. Uh, I remember you couldn't find it. Like, I remember seeing the commercials for it, but I don't think it played anywhere near me. Mm. So I ended up renting it a year later. And it's so manic um, that I remember just kind of being lost in it. Like, what is this? (laughs) And um, I think I recently, like, I think I recently put, it was running on some channel and I started watching it for a little while. Um, because I was like, oh, Buckaroo Bonsai, you know, and um, I remember it really well. Like I was watching it, going, oh yeah, I remember this. I remember the Rasta guy, and and I just, yeah, it didn't connect with me. Um, it should have. It's one of those films that's like, well, I should like this, and um, I just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't think it's terrible. No, it's but I'm very- I'm not in the I'm not in the club. Your response is pretty standard. It's like yeah. there's people that I know that go, yeah, I, I do like that. It's weird. And I like it. Or you love it or they love it or they just don't get it. It's not like, oh, I hate it. It was the worst thing I ever saw. It's just I don't get this movie. And that's that's a response from a lot of people. And um, when I was a toy dealer, I had uh, found a small amount um uh of um those toys that came out with the car like you you click on it in the car and i was selling those and i would run into the the crazy passionate fans um and there was some pretty interesting people i would meet um but you know uh i just don't uh i really just don't get it it's like something that you see and you just know this is never going to go mainstream. Like this thing is never going to, you know, or certain shows that I've loved over the years. Like there's so many reasons Twin Peaks should not have connected with people. It was a network show. It's still the most audacious thing ever on network television. And it's the rhythm of it and the strangeness of it. It's it's a miracle that it connected with people the way that it did because everything about it, it shouldn't have, you know, it, it, it's... That that initial that first season, you know, when it was a sensation for that for that year. Um, but you'd look at it on the surface and go, "This is never going to be more than a than a cult going to last, you know, for a little bit, whatever." And of course, you know, a bunch of stuff happened that made that happen. But Buckaroo Bonsai is one of those things that's just kind of destined to be always be a, a cult thing. But it's but there's passion in it because it because you just say it's relentless. It is from the moment it starts. You're given some, you know. A little bit of backstory. You go right into 
the testing. What are they testing? He goes through the rock. Then there's a press conference. And he's like, oh, he's a samurai off. Oh, wait, they're going to play a gig that night. Wait, he's doing brain surgery before the gig. You know, it, it just you just you just either go with it or you don't. And yeah. Before you know it, you've got Jeff Goldblum going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, 1938, you know, uh, you know, what was happening in 1938, like the War of the Worlds, Halloween, War of the Worlds, Orson Welles, radio broadcast about War of the Worlds, people thought it was real, but really it was fake, but what if it wasn't fake, and right then I just went, okay, I'm in, like, that's, that's just completely insane, and that all the, you know, all the aliens are called John something. Yeah, John Big Booty, John, yeah. Big Boutet, yeah, orphaned, and John Smallberries, and John—it's just bonkers. It's it's, it's nuts. I just think it needed to it, it needed to explain itself to the audience a little better. Well, but, um, but that's the thing. It it that's what when I what I'm saying. I look at it and you go, this was never going to connect with a large audience. Like there's just there's not enough. You're asking a lot of the audience to go with how could you think this was going to be a franchise of any kind that you were going to keep being able to make these movies, you know, and, and of course it didn't, but it, it's, you know, every once in a great while years later, I would sort of, you know, meet someone that knew the film and, you know, on VHS or something. Now it's, you know, you know, like, like Josh Izzo is a huge, huge Buckaroo Bonsai fan. You know, he and I talk about it. You know, we've talked about it quite a bit. And it's but it's very few and far between that anybody knows that movie or likes that movie. But I just I just love it. I think it's terrific. And. Um, the end of um, Life Aquatic. Uh, Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. When they're all walking out toward the camera. Yeah. Um, that is an homage to the end credits of Buckaroo Banzai. And Buckaroo Banzai also has that wonderful uh, homage to the Doc Savage film. Where, the, yeah, which which one? Uh, the Doc Savage, the George, oh, George Powell Pat- Doc Savage film, where they announced the sequel. Yes, you know. and the end, and I think that was very much, and, and the team. You've got that team already. Like, like, what was the name of Doc Savage's? What were they called? What was the team called? Famous Five, I believe, and it was uh, Monk, Rennie, yep. Long Tom, uh, Ham, Ham, yeah, Hamilton, and Bruce uh, Valant, and Bruce Valant. <laughs> yes, he provided that's, the Mary. Um, that's, right. that's right. But that I think it was it was totally an amalgam of all the pulp stuff. Yeah, it definitely had a Doc Savage feel. You know, too. and, and that, that's the, another reason that I was like, why don't I like this? The you director. Know? Um, the writer Earl Mac Rauch, or Rauch, or Rauch, however you, I forget how you pronounce, say his name. He's a not he's a lunatic, absolute lunatic. You know, when when they, you get interviews with the uh, with the director, who's why I can't think of his name right now. But the director of the film wrote the screenplay for the '78 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, uh, w. D. Richter. Earl mm. Mac Rauch wrote the screenplay for Bonsai. W. D. Richter was the director, and even you know, like some of the supplemental materials from like a DVD from 20 years ago, he talked about back in the day, like you couldn't find this guy, this writer, like he was living in a, a trailer or like he was living on someone's couch and he just had notebooks filled with, you know, you know, scribblings about stories and things. Well, it, it doesn't sound like much has changed with this guy. He never did much after that, but he, they finally released a book because the, the 
likeness rights and the rights of the character are still tied up somewhere. Nobody seems to know anything. There was going to be a TV series in the early 2000s that didn't happen. Yeah, I, mean, I remember that. Yeah. I, Smith at one point wanted to do something that that didn't go anywhere. Um, but a book finally came out uh, before the end of the year. Um, and it's huge. I'm trying to dive into it. But I mean, it's, it's almost like I'm you know, 60 pages in and it's still almost like a preface. But this is all this this writer like he's just been, you know, like how long has this stuff been sitting around? Um, but it's a one-off. It is definitely a one-off. There'll never be another one. But I think that if somebody ever wanted to do like a really cool animated or anime type series and, and modify it, it would be a terrific show. Somebody is going to do something eventually with that property, I think, somehow, you know, you think I mean, I, the sun's I mean, setting here, you know, um, but is it? Oh, cause like, I mean, look at, they just did another version of, um, you know, uh, what's it called? What's the very first Q series? Not, not you know, uh, Ultraman, but the Q. What's the first one called? Ultra Q. Ultra Q. They just yeah, but Ultraman has had so many Ultra, iterations. Ultra, and... yes, but Ultra Q is not <clears throat> Ultra Q. Yeah, they're related. No. Yes. Q, they are related, but Ultra Q, the, the new series that came out like a year ago or something, is riffing on the one from the late 50s, the very I first. I believe it, although it is a very, um, yeah, but it's a concept that still works, I think. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Um, I don't know. I remember, just, yeah. remember the, um, remember that, do you remember that, that Phantom? Lee Falk, you know, the Phantom, the Phantom 2040, was it called? The yeah, Aeon. I remember that weird cartoon. And it was didn't, like. Didn't the Aeon Flux guy do that? Yes, it was. Yeah. Like Peter Chung was it Chung or Chang or something? Peter. Not sure. Yeah, and it was like what? The Phantom in the future? What? Who's doing this? Stranger things have happened. Somebody. Yeah, might that's have. true. You never know. But well, let, let's let's do um, let's do Buckaroo Banzai twenty sixty nine. That's filthy. Have it on my desk in the morning. I've done the Buckaroo Banzai twenty sixty nine. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. Through my back. How's your, how's your back? Yeah, I was gonna ask. Ah! Come on, grow up. We're here all week. Uh, Red Dawn was a big influential uh, movie of the time. Um, oh, yeah. Didn't they I, even recently remake that? It's such an 80s film. Did you people understand it, though, in Canada? No, we, we needed we needed subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't care for the film. My wife loves it. Um, people love that movie. People yeah. have freaking love that movie what, what i love is the terrible ripoff that chuck norris did uh called invasion usa like a year later that is basically just him killing terrorists and saying one-liners um kicking heads in i i am not a big chuck norris fan and uh it just made me laugh that like he just like he seemed to be like rip, just ripping off red dawn with that movie um, the next big film was, uh, The Woman in Red, which I, I think that's a Kelly, is a Kelly LeBrock's in that? Kelly LeBrock, Gene Wilder, and I'm going to ask a dumb question because I've, I never get this right. You know the song, The Lady in Red by Krista Berg? Uh, yeah, I don't Lady think, yeah, 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 they, they play the, is wedding. that from the film or is that just some shit song that got made? I don't think it's from the film. 
Okay. I think I think there was a song. I think it's Stevie Wonder, and I think it's the woman oh! in red. You know. Stevie Wonder. Yeah. I called to say I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's the uh, big that fucking yeah. song was. Oh my god, that song was. Yeah. No offense to Stevie, but if I hey, you know what? He's sitting on a. He got a Scrooge McDuck pile of money for that. Oh so my god. I think we can poo-poo it all we want. Um. That was. Talk about ubiquitous for years. That song was just, yeah, you couldn't go anywhere and not hear that. Song. You couldn't get your teeth cleaned without hearing it at least once. Um, <laughs> Funeral without yeah. them playing that song in the lobby. So the, the, the next weekend is funny because it has um, two. Well, it's a science fiction film and that would be Dreamscape, um, a film I like and I've revisited a few times. I saw that in yeah, um, and that's got uh, a pretty interesting cast, too, because you've got Dennis Quaid, and uh, the baddie in that film, oh, God, I, I never remember his name. Da- David uh, David uh, Patrick Kelly? Dan- Daniel Patrick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, David Patrick Kelly, who is one of those actors who shows up in films like every five years that you see, you know, um, you know, he, you go, Oh my God, where is he? Like, like, remember the, where's first he been? John, remember the first John wick? Yeah. And he shows up at the door and you're like, is that? Yeah. David, like, Hey John, how you doing? You know, they come into cl- like cleanup crew and you're like, where the hell have you been? Yeah. He's terrific. He's so yeah. good. And, and he's, he, yeah, he's one of those guys that, he has very memorable uh, scenes in, in movies and you, you, memorable characters, but he is not overexposed. No, he was. And, uh, he had the run for, I think, Warriors was what, 79? Yeah. And then he was in, he played, and then he was in uh, Walter Hill. Did Walter Four, Hill direct the war, uh, 48 Hours? I think he did. Used him again in 48 Hours. Yeah. Was, and he was playing Luther again. Luther. Uh, and he he was in Beverly Hills Cop as Luther as well, which I didn't know. Oh yeah. Um. And then um, the Crow was a big a dreamscape, and then you know the next thing I saw him in was the Crow. Um, that, now that you mention him, well he you know he he was in Twin Peaks, the original yeah. show, and then he showed up in the you know is a very in a very odd way in the Return. But there's a movie that I watched not long ago. Total exploitation, but it's called VFW. Have you heard of this? I loved it. It was great. I yeah, was... I mean, I don't really usually like splatter gore movies. Yeah. But it, they, they did the right thing in that you liked the characters. You knew exactly what this thing was going to be. Yeah. Started, and you're like, give it to me. Just make it, you know, make it crazy. And yeah. he's in that so he's he still shows up and stuff but he's he's such a gem of a of a guy but here's my memory of dreamscape parents had already split up but you know my mother you know i probably shouldn't even talk about this but like my mother never took child support from my father Mm. um and you know stayed married you know separated but longer probably than you know certainly than she should have so that he could have uh, health insurance benefits from her job right. and so that he could fly because she worked for an airline and he could fly out to see my brother out east uh, for, you know, nothing, fly on pass, basically. But every now and then I think her, you know, it was like, it was like just, you know, do do stuff for the kid, you know, like 
And so my father would take me to movies or, you know, you know, <laughs> crush my spirit when he took me to movies by saying, I saw this the week before, by the way, I saw this last Saturday. It's not on the plane. Just as I was getting ready to get excited. Um, but I think it was either him or both of them that we went to see Dreamscape that I wanted to see on a Sunday. So I'm like, you know, however old I'm a kid. And it was PG-13, I think. No, 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 it wasn't because maybe PG-13 hadn't happened at that point. I don't know. But they said they said boner. I think I think Dennis Quaid said, yeah, you're measuring people's bo- guys boners or something. And there's a sex scene in it. And there was something else. In it, and I was just squirming in my. Oh, head. yeah, 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 yeah. Like. Like, I can't believe this is in it. Like, you think you're safe. I would never want to watch an R-rated movie on video like I did with my cousin with my parents in the room, you know. Yeah, but I, uh, I, uh, I uh, watched All the Right Moves with um, my parents in a drive-in. Oh, my God. And Don't Tom Cruise ghoulies in that? You get to see Leah Thompson and Tom Cruise, you know, uh, doing it. And while that... I, the concept of that sounds great. It's not when you're sitting with your mom and dad in a in a in a in a, in a Mercury Cougar. No. Um, no. Uh, yeah, I've never watched that film since. Uh, I have no interest in it. Then you're asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember uh, the next day, uh, you know, going. Uh, you know, I forget. I think we went to go see two. Like you know, driving was two movies. I think. The other film was a Cheech and Chong, which is what my father loved, and and uh, we bonded over. And my mom. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Cheech yeah, and... I know. There was a lot of boobies in Cheech and Chong. Not this one. Um, but men's bottoms. I, think. I don't remember any uncomfortable nudity in that at all. Uh, it was not their best film. I think it was Things Are Tough All Over. Um, yeah. I can't. You know. Yeah, they went that they went downhill with that one started to go downhill with that one yeah yeah and uh but my Cheech and Chong movies were like maybe things are tough or over was the thing I saw with Hanky Panky all the right movies I saw with 16 Candles with my parents another film with nudity yes it was just a banner evening yes boy that it's a miracle you turned out as well as you did you don't know I'm a deviant um but Dreamscape was I always have to have a middle-aged couple in the room when I watch something filthy. <laughs> Wait a minute, you know you know who the you know who the real winner of the summer of '84 is? Is friggin' Kate Capshaw, Best Defense, Temple of Doom, and uh, Dreamscape. Yeah, yeah, well, that summer. But we got our big comic book movie this same weekend. Uh-oh. Oh, our yeah. big comic book movie based on a comic character everybody knows. Sheena. I was going to say Supergirl. I thought you were going to say Supergirl. Was no, it? no, Supergirl, uh, I think, was not a summer movie. Right. Uh, oh, the ta- the Tanya Roberts. Sheena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Supergirl was in November open. Speaking of boobies. Mm-hmm. Apparently Sheena. quite difficult to work with. Um, For boobies? Well, <laughs> no, I, I meant I meant Tanya because Roberts. I... I they I have, have no their, opinion of those. They did have their own agent. That's what I heard. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it negotiates separately. Totally. Um, no, she, uh, that movie, um, I think I was interested in that movie because it was based on a comic book. Right. Of and, course. Not and, the gorgeous woman who was in it. Of course. Well, that, that didn't hurt. Uh, I did not see it in the theater. The reviews were just trenched. And, um, 
honestly, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. I think it came and went. I did look at the Marvel comic and it looked kind of boring. I've never seen it. Um, if I have, I don't remember it. Maybe, maybe I rent, like I watched it on TV once, but I, I, I would, I knew who she was because of uh, Beastmaster. Mm-hmm. And she was in Charlie's Angels too, right? Wasn't she in like yeah. the third, yeah. third level of Charlie? Yeah. And, so I knew and she quite, ended up being a Bond girl like the next year, right? That's right. Few to a kill. The greatest Bond movie ever. Tracy, uh, Tracy something. No, Stacy. Uh, there's, there's a scene in View to a Kill where Roger Moore falls. He's wearing like a members only jacket and he's fighting somebody. And he falls and he makes this sound that a 59 year old guy would make. You know, like, oh. He does once. He would do yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, that, you know, is he okay? You know, and, um, the, all the fight scenes are from like 500 feet away. Oh no, the best the best scene in there. Can we at least agree that "View to a Kill" is one of the best Bond songs of all time? I love that song. Great tune. Yeah, that, that's hands down better than everything in the film. But the most awkward part of the entire film is when he beds Grace Jones. <laughs> only only because in a million years. If you'd ever think who would who is the couple that you'd least want to see in bed together would be 59 year old Roger Moore, 25 year old Grace Jones or however old she was looking like a space alien and, you know, 70 year old Roger Moore it couldn't have been more awkward of a track. I think you've misspelled attractive. Yeah, I know. Looks, and then she looks to Christopher Walken in the hallway, and he gives her a nod in, like, "Yeah, go for it. Yeah, come on, go on, go ahead, go for it." You know, which just adds another layer to, like, "Yeah, get in there, because maybe you'll, maybe you'll find something out. Maybe Bond will slip up and tell you something post post coitus." But um, <laughs> yeah, that um, here's a just a, as a side note, as we're talking, talk about a meta moment. The gentleman I mentioned a little while ago, my friend who loves Bachelor Party and Revenge of the Nerds and Just One of the Guys, etc., literally just sent me a text, a tweet, uh, the Rex Chapman feed. 37 years ago today, Just One of the Guys appeared in theaters, 1985. Just texted me that as we're recording live. So, wow, that's really strange. So am I lying? Does he not love that movie? He does love that movie. So I, what, I, what happened I, after... Was that the, would that wrap out the summer? Was that it? No, then you got um, movies that like, okay, you got Oxford Blues, um, which I can't remember. Um, a movie called Choose Me that I don't remember. Then the end of the summer. Actually, yeah, I, I would like to just extend slightly into September on this one because uh, the August 31st weekend, you have Bolero. A movie a lot of people remember but don't want to talk about. Um, and Chud. Chud, Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. That's the one. Which actually is a lot better than it should be. It is. Um, and it's got Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. That's, yeah, Daniel Stern makes that film. He, uh, Breaking Away, uh, Diner. What did he do in 83? What was he doing in 83? I forget, but you know Mickey Rourke is you know they were together in Diner. Rourke is doing Pope of Greenwich Village. Daniel Stern is doing Chud, you know. But you know Stern had ended up having a better career, to be honest. 
but uh, it's not it's not a bad movie. It's, no, um, it's it's a lot better than it it should be, I guess. It, it yeah. kind of reminds me of a a Larry Cohen movie. Yes, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It it has that 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 where they build the characters up a lot, you know, and um, they have a little fun with it. Is it not a Cohen film? I kind of thought it was. Is Chad a Cohen film? No, I thought, I just I think I always thought it was because it felt. No, like I don't it. think he's connected to it in any way, shape, or form. But it feels like one. Um, yeah. Did the stuff come out in '84? Was that '85? Um, '85 for the stuff. Yeah. That's another one that you read about in Star, like Starlog. Yeah, you read it on Starlog, but it's like, where am I going to see this? Not only did you read about it in Starlog, they showed a picture of Garrett Morris, like his prosthetic head in bed. Yeah, with the ripping other apart. Two. Like, yeah, you're like, well, that's kind of a. That's kind of gory. Yeah. In a way, is I mean, maybe... they, they, that was definitely in an '84 Starlog because I read it on the boat. Um, you know, the back that that summer, especially because there was like an hour and a half car ride to the boat and back from the boat. I would read every page of Starlock. I picture you in the back with your little highlighter marker, like going back to the classifieds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, that summer, I did write a lot of people in the classifieds that that 100 percent happened. Um, but September 7th, two movies came out and I love they're Here's, both low budget films. You're still. Dear Still Things is still the best. Do you have any 8x10 glossies of the Jerry Anderson series, The Secret Service? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would like pictures of Professor Unwin. Uh, or, yeah, whatever his name was. Um, the they Brother from Another Planet opened on September 7th. Great movie. That's Micro-budget film that I remember watching when I was probably 15 or 16. And I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Like, yeah. it is so compelling. It has zero budget. Like, and um, I didn't John even. Sales, man. John, John Sales. Sales dialogue, really witty. Yep. All the characters are amazing. I didn't realize that the guy playing the brother has had a very prolific career. He's been in um, Terminator 2. Oh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Morton. Yeah, Joe Morton. He's, he's, he's really been around. Legend. Legend. Yeah. And I think he's actually. Um, something he's was he cyborg's father in the justice league movie yes yes he was yeah 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 he really that guy really got around it's great performance um, never speaks a word and david he, aaron is in that david strathairn is one of his first movies because he ended up working with with sales a lot he's an eight out he might have been in uh what's the other one i'm thinking of uh, not lone star but something else and sales shows up him you know john sales shows up in um in uh brother from another planet yeah you know because he, he one of the aliens he's one of the aliens he, yeah no he's in you know you remember he showed because he, he wrote piranha he, i think he wrote the yeah. piranha and alligator and he's he's in piranha i'm pretty sure he's on camera in piranha uh, on screen so he's just one of these just interesting guys that just you know you know indie type filmmaker that wrote his own stuff and his 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 if people don't know who we're talking about like look him up because his quality of output is pretty fantastic like he i don't feel like he ever really got the due that he should have with a lot of things that, that he did well but, if you yeah you look at this movie and the dialogue he's a really good dialogue writer yeah and um that yeah like this movie doesn't have a budget nothing really it's just 
character studies and the lead character is silent well that's the entire film for years i would say to people like like i always use that as a reference whenever you meet someone who just can't shut up like like if you if you sat there and didn't say much they were going to talk anyway or if you sat there if they said hey man how you doing how's it going today and you're like oh pretty good i'm actually in a really bad you know, I've got cancer in my toe or something. I just found out, you know, and they would those people that would just immediately turn it back on themselves. Oh, really? That's really bad. But hey, listen, my uncle. And then just I, I always say, like, it's like brother from another planet. Like you could there are people that you can just sit and not say anything and they will fill the room up with with conversation. Yeah, they can't help themselves. And that was such a great um, uh you know, thing, uh, a story element to have in there that he never speaks throughout the film and people are just kind of speaking for him or assuming his silence means something else. And you find everything else about out about the characters on their own. They kind of tell you everything. Yeah. It's, it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, plot device. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's one of those films that, you know, nothing, it's not going to have, it's not a blockbuster. Um, but even on its low budget, I, I, the thing I really remember about it is there's a fight scene uh, where the you know everyone in the bar he's he's those men in black want to bring him back to the planet or whatever they want to do with right. him, and the uh, people in the bar are like, no, you're not going to do that, and those guys are like indestructible, and it's yeah. a very low budget fight scene, but you kind of believe they are. Yeah, because they just keep taking punch after punch. And, you know, there's no big theatrics, but it just it's it's a very well filmed, believable um, fight scene. Well, that's the other thing about sales, too, is like every time he did a film, it was something different. Yeah. Like the return to the Secaucus seven, which a lot of people feel like Lawrence Kasdan ripped off for the big chill because there's a lot of similarities with that script. Um, I forget what he did in between. And then uh, Brother from Another Planet, then like Metawan was like right after that. And then Eight Men Out and then like City of Hope. And um, uh, what's the one? Lone Star, the one with uh, that kind of put McConaughey on the map. After, yeah. you know, like like every time he did a film, it was something different. And he's really, you know, you're right. Like his 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 character stuff, his creating characters and writing dialogue is, you know, second to none. He's he's terrific. Um, forgot all about that movie. That's a great flick. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because it kind of wraps up the summer, and it's it's just interesting to see how films have changed. Um, you know, now we get sci-fi blockbusters, and you know the dramas and comedies have kind of disappeared. Yeah, it's more more television. Well, you know, it's funny you talked about at the movies or something like that. You'd mentioned like, yeah, time. The brother from another planet type of film would have been the last thing reviewed on the show. Yeah. They would have done, you know, the big thing, the next big thing. And if there was room, they'd throw in a little smaller film that's probably going to be at two theaters in a major city or something that if somebody could, you know, could see kind of thing. Because that, that's that those are the ones that just slip through the cracks, you know, but it was. um Thank, I mean, that's really where, where, wouldn't you say that's right around the turn where like, like people would go like, well, I'll rent it eventually. Like, I'll see it. Yeah, I think that's definitely where things were starting to go. 
Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because people were starting to realize, oh, uh, these things come to video stores, um, you know, a couple of months later. Right. And, uh, you know, I can just watch it in my home. So, yeah, you absolutely have a point there. I mean, that's so, a great uh, that's a great output. I mean, a lot of those yeah. horror movies are, are classics. You know, it's it's very I think it's second to 82 for the amount of stuff. Although 83 might be fun to do, too, one day, because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, genre type stuff. Most of the stuff we're talking about is, is genre stuff. Yeah, well, that's where we're going to obviously our brains are going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't think we want to talk about Porky's, although I want to talk about Porky's and Dr. Detroit. Um, <laughs> Never a bad time to talk about Porky's or yeah. Dr. Detroit. Wait a minute. We did Summer of 89, too, didn't we? Yes, we did. I believe we did. Oh, yeah. so this is our third in a series. If you've enjoyed, oh my God, Summer of '83 has some real duds in it. Let's our do summer, it. Our summer series, please. Get our summer head. series where we wear shorts <laughs> and uh, and sandals with socks. <laughs> well, Summer of '83 had some good stuff though too, didn't it? Or was it just kind of Return of the Jedi and then? It has so many um, terrible movies that we need to do it. Okay. We absolutely need to do it. I mean, this is a this is a summer where on the same weekend you had Metal Storm: The Direction of Destruction of Jared Sin and Your Hunter of the Future. How do you make How, a point? What, what were they What were they thinking? Yeah, I know. Don't you guys <laughs> understand? They would have canceled each other out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get it's that much crazy one weekend, you idiots. Yeah, you know at least Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone had the decency to be in May. Uh, that, that, but and you're saying your was the same weekend? No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me the same summer had Space Hunter for Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, Metal Storm, the destruction, the destruction of, of Jaredson, and your Hunter from the Future. Oh my God. Yeah, that's too much awesome. It's a miracle we made it out alive. I know, I know. Uh, the human race survived from that. And I, you know what? Two of the three of those I saw in the theater. Oh wow! I envy you. Space Hunter and Metal Storm I saw in the theater, and Metal Storm would have been the second thing I saw Michael Ironside in. No, he was in Space Hunter. Oh wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're right. Space Hunter. Would, yeah, was he? Was he called the Big Dog or something? Or Mad the, Dog or something like that. Yeah. Hey, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry, sorry. That's a little yeah, yeah. preview. That's a little. That's a little taste. That's a little post credits. Uh, <laughs> for the yeah. next Marvel film. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our look at the summer of '84. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, Me too. Put, tell us yeah. your picks of your favorite. Tell us your favorite films of the summer of 1984. Yeah. You can uh, let us know in the comments below if this is YouTube, or you can hit us up in our Facebook group, Pod Stallions. Or just give us a call. Yeah, you can call us 24 hours a day. Jason will answer the phone. Hotline's open. Yeah, I'll put your number on the uh, the, the screen. 1-800-666-1984 It'll just be cars for kids oh. 50, cent, 50 cents for the first minute Ask your parents before you call yeah, That's right And you really talk slow Hello This oh, is Jason Lindsay. <laughs> yeah Alright folks Thanks everybody Have a good one Hey uh, I just want to uh, stop recording and talk to you